All right, we're back into Timothy. Now, before I get into that, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in London, um, which was unusual, traveling outside Sutton Coalfield. And I was down there for a conference, which I'd booked, like pre-pandemic booked, um, that got moved and shoved around. And I was down uh, in London. Uh, we were spent uh, three days looking at the book of One and Two Kings in the Old Testament, uh, having a great time. And part of the whole going down there was I, I drove down there. I got settled in the place I was staying for the couple of nights I was there. But then I had the challenge of finding the building where the conference was taking place, which is in a church building, quite a nice sort of big uh, church building. But it's kind of nestled into the sort of the roads around where it is in London. And I set out for my hotel and I kind of put it on my phone. I thought, OK, it was only about a 15 minute walk. I thought it's fine. The weather's good. And so I started charging down the road towards where uh, this building was, or at least where I thought it was. And what you find out when you've been doing what I've been doing for long enough, I mean, I've sort of been pastoral ministry about nearly 18 years or over 18 years now. And I was walking down the road and I clocked a couple of two guys and I thought they look like Christians. They just they just had the right look about them the check shirts and the sandals they just gave it away and I thought I bet they're going to the conference because we're kind of heading at the same time for the first session and so I sort of tucked in behind them and they they were chatting away and as I overheard them I thought yeah you're definitely Christians you can just tell and I thought they know where they're going and so I just followed them and so I just I ignored what it said on my phone and I followed them and we went sort of down a side street and then ran another side street and I thought I know where you're going and then I looked at my watch I was taking a little longer than I thought and then, then they suddenly stopped and just turned around about face and started marching back towards me. And I thought, oh, crumbs, what do I do now? Because do I, do, I do I give away that I was following them or do I just, I carried on marching past them. And then I looked over my shoulder, they'd gone the other way. So I turned around and as I, as I caught, caught back up to them, I heard, they didn't know where they were going either. <laughs> they had gone completely off course as well. And they said, we've missed a turning. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. That closed me. And then they went around the corner and we managed <laughs> I followed, they didn't know I was doing it, but I followed them. And then as I was going around, I saw some other guys I actually knew. I thought, no, they're definitely Christians because I know them. And they were coming the other way. And we managed, I managed to find my way to the conference center. I uh, made it in time for the first session and could grab a drink. But the fascinating thing was I was following the wrong people. And they were going, they went off course and they didn't miss it by much. It was one street early. But when you're in London and it's built up and there's stuff going on, that can make quite a big difference. And as we went down this side street, we basically just took ourselves further and further and further away from our destination. And what we're going to be looking tonight as we read the next section of 2 Timothy is Paul's teaching on Timothy about not going astray, not being led off course in what you're doing, not doing what I was doing, which was just blindly following someone because I thought they knew what they were doing. And it turns out they weren't in the slightest. So for those of you who've not been us, we've been looking um, at the book of 2 Timothy, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young uh, fellow leader, Timothy, who he, who he felt was a son in the face. So they had a very close uh, connection. And he's basically, Paul is in prison in Rome, writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. And he's basically giving him his, his last charge because Paul is in a Roman jail knowing he's about to face execution. So he knows he's going to die. He knows he's at the end of his life. He knows he's, he's coming to the end of his race. And he's trying to pass on to Timothy things that Timothy needs to learn, things that, things that Timothy needs to take on board, things that Timothy needs to kind of like, right, Timothy, this is important. You need to grasp and grapple with these things. And so he is doing that and he is encouraging Timothy to keep going. And that's the title of our sermon series. And it's like he's 
passing on the baton of the Christian ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why we use this image of a baton and why we've been passing around not very effectively tonight. But it's the image of he's, he's giving to me. This is the truth. This is the good news. These are things you need to learn so that you can keep going in ministry and serving the Lord. And the imaging of a relay race, which is super relevant now, we've got the Olympics coming. We'll see if all the teams manage to make it round and actually pass on the baton to the next runner. And that is what Paul is doing. So as he comes to the end of life, he is trying to pass on information to Timothy. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first nine verses. And I'm explain kind of what Timothy's trying to say, as Paul's trying to say to Timothy. And then we'll apply it to our lives. So verse 1, it says this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses those these men also oppose the truth men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men all right big idea of this evening is that we are to keep going in these last days against those who would lead us astray against those who lead us astray now last week or last time we did this we were looking at the end of chapter two where we looked at keep going with what is true about keep going with god's word and this follows immediately on from it and the section uh, falls into two parts so we can look at the first couple of verses uh, which is what these false teachers are like and then the, the second section from verse six is what they do. So what these false teachers are like, what they, are, they do, because false teachers have been coming into the church of Ephesus. They've been teaching things that are leading the people astray. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got to keep going. What is true? And now you've got to keep going in these last days. So if we look at the first section, verses one to five, who they are. And it starts with this verse. It says, but I understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, just so you know. I've never seen this verse on a social media kind of post with a nice flowery background or a sunset. It's just, it doesn't get a lot of press. If some of you are social media warriors out there, try sticking this on your social media post and then just seeing what the reaction is because it's still God's word. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Nice and cheery. Thanks, Paul. So what is this? So it begins with a but. So this is contrasting with what Paul said. Paul said, you keep going with what's true. And he says that you keep preaching the good news because sometimes people come to repentance. But he says, in contrast with that, he says, understand. And that word understands means wake up, realize, kind of mark my words. And Paul says that in these last days. Now, what do the last days mean? Well, biblically speaking, the last days is a period from uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. So that's Acts chapter two. So if we read our Bible, we've got Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he rises again, he ascends to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit, which you read about in the book of Acts. That comes and the church is born. We sang about that. 
And that's when these last days begin and they end when Jesus returns again, which hasn't happened yet. So we are living in these last days. Timothy was living in these last days. Paul was living in these last days. And so he says, in these last days, which Timothy found himself in, which we now find himself in, there will come, so will is a certainty there, there will come times of difficulty, which is times that are perilous, times that are hard, times that are arduous. Paul himself knew about this because he's talked about suffering in the letter. And if you read, um, and he's also, um, he's suffering in prison. We know that as well. So he's got, and if you look at his life, there's so many things going on there. And so it, it is a common uh, biblical sort of uh, theme that in the last days, there'll be times of suffering. There'll be times of upheaval, times of evil. Believers will fall away. Even Jesus talked about it in Matthew uh, 24, verse 10. And so in these last days, Paul is saying there will come times of difficulty. And so the question is, well, why are they going to be difficult? What's going on? Which he immediately jumps into because he begins the next verse, verse two, four, four people. So this is the why. And then he launches into a list. I managed to get up to 19 different things because when I'm going through my sort of um, preaching prep, I, I write through the sermon and I write it out, all the texts and, and do things. So I counted them all up. And so there are 19 things that people will be like in these last days. So it's something Timothy would experience, but it's also something that we too will experience. I don't know if you've come across these in yourself or in others. And he describes these people. Now, Paul, in his context, he's talking about people who are coming into church and trying to teach uh, the people things contrary to the gospel. And so what does he say? He says, first of all, he says they will be lovers of self, which means they will be selfish. They will be egotistical. They will be anti-God because instead of loving God, they will be loving themselves. And out of that, a whole host of other things come. He says they will be lovers of money. So they will be greedy. It says they will be proud, which is self-promoting, boastful, uh, thinking of themselves or taking themselves to be God rather than God being God. It says they will be arrogant, which is closely linked with the word before. And that is a sense of one's own self-importance. So they're proud and arrogant as they're abusive. And this word it basically is the same word as a blasphemer. So these are people who scoff at God, scoff at who God is, scoff at what God has done. It says they will be disobedient to their parents. And if you think culturally at the time, uh, tight families that were that were going out, that were growing multiple, not just our little tiny nuclear families we have now that are often uh, run by a patriarch, a matriarch a figure, um, but they were disobedient to those um, people, those in authority. And that's effectively what it is. It's those people who don't care about authority. When we looked at the Ten Commandments series, one of the commandments was honoring parents, because as you honor parents, you in turn honor God. And godly people honor their parents because uh, their parents is a God-given institution. And as we learn to submit to authority and the parents, we in turn learn to submit to authority on the God. But they, they don't care about that. These people throw off all restraint. They're disobedient to their parents and therefore disobedient to God. It says they are ungrateful. So they are unthankful, in, in, have ingratitude in their heart. They are unholy. So they've got no care for anything that is sacred or holy, the things of God. They are heartless, which means they are unloving, uncaring. It says they are unappeasable, which means they are unforgiving. They have a harsh attitude. They refuse uh, to be reconciled if they fall out. They are slanderous, which means they are accusers and they are willing to damage the reputation of others with lies, with their words, spread lies about others, speak ill about others. They have no self-control, which is an inability to deal with temptation. They have no restraint 
about anything. If they, they see something they want it, they just go full bore for it, regardless of whether it's wise or godly or good. It says they are brutal. And that's the word there that is used to describe a wild animal, a savage word. They are, they are violent and vicious in how they are. They do not love good. So they have no appreciation uh, for virtues of kindness and graciousness and, uh, and love, all those things. They're not interested in it, it says they are treacherous, which means that they, they betray what they were once committed to. And, and the ultimate biblical example of that, of course, is Judas, who was one of Jesus' disciples, and he ultimately ended up betraying Jesus. He's a treacherous individual. They are reckless, which means rash, uh, headstrong. They, they think, uh, they speak before they think. Uh, they act before they think. They just go straight into stuff without considering the consequences of their actions. They are swollen with conceit, which means uh, puffed up, pride in oneself, a, a self-delusion of who they are uh, and what they're capable of. They are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, which links back to Paul's first statement about uh, for people will be lovers of self. It's that kind of thing. They don't care about God and all that thing. All they care about is them themselves. And then it says, finally, at the end, it says they have the appearance of godliness, but they desire his power. These individuals make a pretense of being more spiritual or having knowledge, but actually they, they have no power uh, from the Holy Spirit and what they, they do. And that's contrast with the likes of Paul who came in humility yet with the power of the Spirit to see people's lives change. And he served through suffering, um, which these individuals wouldn't do if you look at what their um, character kind of references. And then it ends with a really simple statement from Paul. And in my Bible, it's just three words, one sentence. It says, avoid such people. Paul is talking to Timothy and he's saying, you're in this situation. There are people coming in the church, even from in the church, who are trying to lead God's people astray. And this is what they're like, describes it. And he basically says, avoid them, which means separate from them. Do not let them in. Do not um, go with them. Do not listen to them. Do not try and imitate them. Do not let them influence other people. Avoid them. Get them out of the way uh, that the church will be free from them and their teaching and what they're trying to do. They're trying to take away from people from the message of who Jesus is, what he's done, the message of serving through suffering, all these kind of things. They don't want that. They, they don't want any part of it. And Paul is saying to Timothy, avoid them, get them out, get them away from it. So they're the kind of people they are. And then Paul then goes to describe in verse six is nine what they actually do what they're what they're what they're kind of tacticsing and it is not pretty because he writes he says for among them are those who creep into households capture weak women burdened with sins and lead them astray by various passions always learning and never able to rise arrive at the knowledge of the truth so their tactics are to creep in which is to worm their way to infiltrate to kind of sneak in um, through a weak points, weak areas, and they go into households, goes into homes. So it's not just one, it's in many individuals who are being influenced. And it says they, they capture them. They catch them, which is the word you'd use for a prisoner, like you'd bind them up, you'd tie them up, you would chain them up, just like Paul is himself being chained to the wall in a Roman prison. He said, that's what they do. They capture and they target. Now, Paul is talking here about people he probably knew, people he will have been familiar with in the situation and so he describes weak women and obviously this is a, a, a comment on all women 
but it's obviously coming on particular women. And that word weak is basically the word gullible um, a, with a lack of discernment and wisdom. So these people go after, after individuals who lack discernment and wisdom. They are burdened by sin, which means they're struggling with sin at the time. They're not resisting temptation, leading godly lies. And it says they are led astray by their passions. So they're easy prey to a false teacher because they're always looking for something that's good, something that's new, something that's interesting. They've got no discernment that comes from the word of God. And so they become easy targets for those who would teach things contrary to the gospel. And it describes them as they they're always learning, but they're never able to arrive at the truth. So these people who are like seeking knowledge always trying to find the new next thing, the next thing, what's the newest trend, what's going on, or what's the latest thing in spiritual innovation. And as a result, they have listened to nonsense from false teachers and they have been led astray from the truth uh, that Paul would have preached in his gospel about who Jesus is, what he has done. And so these people who he's described in really kind of negative ways, they come and they worm their way into house and households and they lead astray the weak-minded and those who are lack uh, discernment, those who aren't, uh, don't have the knowledge of the truth. Um, and that is what they're like. And then Paul ends finally with the last two verses, which is an illustration. And he mentions two guys there called Janice and Jambris. And these two are men who opposed Moses, he said. They opposed Moses. And they are, the interesting thing about this is, this is the only time they're mentioned in the Bible. Uh, is here in 2 Timothy. They're not mentioned anywhere else. But what they are believed to be, and commentators all agree on this, is a reference back to the uh, uh, into Egypt, and there were the magicians and sorcerers in Pharaoh's court who opposed Moses. And if you go back to Acts the 7, you can read about them. And uh, they used tricks to try and mimic the, um, the activities of God that God did through Moses. Uh, like with the staff he threw on the floor and it became a serpent and then you get the 10 plagues and they try to mimic them to say oh no we can do what God can do through Moses but actually if you read the narrative they they try a few tricks but eventually they can't they cannot stand up before the truth and the power of God and eventually they they fall down and their their foolishness is exposed before Pharaoh and all the people and they can't stand up to who God is and what he is doing and they'll never succeed and it says Paul says that he, they oppose Moses and they oppose the truth and the reason he says they are corrupted in mind and disqualified for teaching the faith they have a malfunctioning understanding which comes from the rejection of truth in the gospel they cannot discern between right and wrong and as a result they are unfit they are unfit to be teaching the truth of God because they don't know it themselves. They're not living it out. They are not those people. And it says they aren't going to get very far, just like those two guys in the Old Testament. Their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. They're going to be exposed. Those who teach things contrary to the gospel will one day be exposed. They will one day be shown for the fools they are. The fact that they've missed it, they led, they've led people astray, and ultimately there will be a judgment and a consequence for them. And so what Paul has done there in those verses, he's reminded Timothy that in these last days it's going to be difficult. 
And one of the reasons it's going to be difficult is there's going to be teaching contrary to the gospel that comes into the church. And there'll be individuals who are trying to corrupt the church with this teaching, lead gullible people, lead people who are weak, lack discernment away from the truth uh, so they can use them for their own interests. And Paul is saying, Timothy, don't let those people in the church, don't let them come into it. Don't let them teach uh, that in amongst God's people. Now, what does this mean for us here and now? Uh, in the 21st century and what we've got if we reflect back on Timothy's time where they were if someone wanted to bring false teaching into the church they had to physically come there was no tv there was no internet there was no social media there was no radio there was nothing the only way they could do it was if an individual actually physically came and started preaching and teaching um, uh, stuff that was contrary to truth Uh, in our day and age it doesn't happen to happen doesn't happen like that we can get that all around us all the time it can be online on the tv there is a false gospel narrative that is around us and it can come into our lives through many many different avenues and i don't think we're in a position to worry about false teachers at this point actually being in the church we're very thorough about who we let teach the people and have positions of authority but false teaching can come into the church and it's something that we can imbibe without even thinking And it can lead us off course without even thinking. And we can find ourselves going down a wrong road without even thinking. And so what I want to do is just highlight a few things to you tonight that are false teachings that get into the church. And then we'll look at how we can deal with them. So I've got three things. So the first one, one of the false teachings that gets into the church is the one that says it's all about me. It's all about me. Paul described those guys right off the bat. Number one on the list was that they were lovers of self. The gospel of self exists in our church today. It exists in our hearts that we believe that God, God's there to meet our needs. God's there to revolve around what I want. And the truth of the gospel is that God loves you with an everlasting love and wants to know you. And he gave himself up for you died on the cross, rose again, so that we can have relationship. But we tend to believe the lie that therefore it's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my glory, my fame and serving me. And we can act like a spoiled child as a result of when we make our focus about me and my needs, because it ignores the truth that we exist for the glory of God. We exist for his praise and his honor and his name. He alone is the one that we are to look to. He is alone is the one that we are to serve. And this can manifest in our lives through anger and frustration when we don't get what we want. Well, I prayed about that, but it didn't happen. And we can get angry and frustrated that that God didn't meet my needs the way I wanted he to be met. We can get cross at other believers because they seem to have things that well, I don't have that, but God's done that over there. And we can throw a tantrum like a child who has been spoilt and they're not getting their own way. And we can huff and puff and run off. And instead of that, we are to look to serve others as Jesus did. We are look to, to endure suffering when it comes because we know it will. Paul said it in his letter to Timothy. He's been teaching about this. And that only in God alone will we find our fulfillment and hope and the false teaching of the gospel of self can come in the church 
and we can subtly think actually this is all about me and making sure I'm okay and making sure everything's the way I like it and the worship leader sings the songs I like and the preacher preaches sermons that I like and I get my needs met in what kind of coffee we serve and what kind of food we have and everyone's looking after my needs when actually we forget it's all about him it's all about Jesus and through that then we serve and care for others what about another one Another false teaching that come into churches is all about my comfort linked with the first one. But Paul describes them as uh, these false teaching as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The gospel of materialism. And this is a product of our middle class culture that we find ourselves in, where we can find ourselves pursuing home, bigger, better home, the better car, the family that's nice family unit, the holiday, the career, the toys and the trinkets that money can buy hobbies, which is very much a, a Western thing is that we've got money to spend on hobbies and things we can do. And the truth of God that he provides for us and he gives us so many good things to enjoy this world can be replaced by a lie that God exists to provide what I want, when I want, to remove any discomfort that comes into my life. Like a genie in a lamp, if we rub the lamp, pray our prayers, everything gets put the way we want it. And that neatly sidesteps what Paul says about suffering, what Jesus said about suffering, what Jesus actually exhibited by his suffering. Paul himself, another one, a follower of Jesus who suffered. If you read through the book of Acts again and again, we see the followers of Jesus suffering for the gospel. And that cannot be lost in our teaching. The gospel of materialism and stuff is a false teaching that comes into the church. And the reality for all of us is God is so much more interested in your character than your comfort. He is more interested in developing godly character than your comfort. And sometimes that means going through difficult situations because we learn to rely on him. We learn to pray. We learn suffering. And we learn patience. We learn endurance. We learn, we learn what it means to be you know, generous with our stuff as we give it away. And if you ever want any example, just pick any Bible character and study their life and you'll find them going through difficult situations. But God transforming their character in the process. And our danger is we pursue pleasure and the gifts of God rather than God himself. And we can also replace the gifts God give us with God. They become our God, our comfort, our pleasure, our home, our family, our career. They become our God. And that is what we worship. And so maybe ask yourself some questions. How do you react when life gets uncomfortable and difficult? We've had a, a bit of a test case over the last 18 months, haven't we? Do you turn to God in prayer or do you turn away from God in anger and frustration and stroppiness because this is what he's done to me? Do you thank God regularly for all the good things he has given you in Christ? The fact that you can talk to him, he's given you hope and freedom from sin and a future that's secure and the spirit that's with you, with you. And he has blessed you to be part of this church community, part of the worldwide church and a local one, wherever you find yourself. How does your bank balance reflect this? What you actually spend your money on? Do you give generously with a thankful heart? If I challenge you and said, put out your bank statement, show me where you're giving a minimum of 10%, a tithe of what God has given to you to serve his kingdom purposes in this world, could you do it? If you, have, you can't, then you're probably listening to false teaching somewhere. And actually thinking that's your money. It's not. 
And actually, it's all for your benefit and your fame and your comfort. It's not. And it never has been. We did a series a couple of years back of what's in your wallets on our website. You can review it, all those things. Everything that you have, God has given you. And it's ultimately for his glory and his fame. And yes, it can bring us pleasure and joy. And there's wonderful things that he does give us. But ultimately, it's all about him. What about the third one? False teaching that gets into church. And that is that it's just about part of my life. Being a Christian is just about a section of my life, a subject. We take a pie chart, there's a little wedge on the side. That's the Christian bit. And this is kind of the gospel of control. Jesus may be Lord and Savior, but only over this part of my life, not that part. That part's mine. I'm in charge there. And we may say we follow Jesus, but only at certain times. Maybe like Sunday, we turn up on Sunday, we look the part. But when we go on Monday morning, suddenly everything changes. I'm in charge. I live this my way and God kind of takes a back seat till next weekend. I get to say I'm a Christian, but I get to live as I please. And so the question that would challenge us here is do all the areas of your life line up with how we're to act as believers who've been saved by grace and live with gratitude to God, filled by spirit, humbly serving those around you? How do you act in your workplace, whatever that is, whether you're full time, part time, you're hung with kids, that kind of work section of your life. If we kind of came and all looked at how you're out there, would it be a godly man or woman serving in that place? Or would your work character be very different to what we might see on a Sunday? What about how your marriage is at the moment? Are you lovingly, faithfully serving your spouse? And you might say, Stuart, my spouse is horrible. Yeah, you married them. And you're probably no pick party and picnic either. What about on social media? How do you act on social media and what you say there? If we went through your scroll through your social media account, what would that say about what your priorities are? How you serve God? What about your finances? As I mentioned the last time, go through what you spend your money on. What about what you watch in terms of your TV film content that you kind of take in? Would that measure up with you being man or woman of God, how you act when you're out with your friends and what you say about your other friends and how you interact with them. Do you act there with righteousness or are you one of the gossips who hack down other people? So there's just three things that are false teachings that can come into the church and come into us. And we live in a culture where we are constantly being shaped and squeezed by the narrative that's out there that is being pumped into us through television, uh, through the internet and through news and social media and all those things that we are imbibing, whether we want it or not. And we need to be aware of that so we can stand against it. So what do we do? Here's some suggestions as kind of just to think about this week, think about now, do a little bit of business with God. But are you living with a daily awareness of that, that we're actually in the last days? Jesus is coming back and these times are going to be difficult and we have to stand firm within it. Or do you live with that daily kind of awareness or are you just kind of going through day by day, just sucking oxygen and kind of not in any kind of going through an autopilot? When you see false teaching, do you identify it in the culture around you? Do you call it out and say that's actually not true? When you see advertisements that are telling you that happiness can be found in the new whatever, car, clothes, holiday, toy, trinket, whatever it is, that will bring me happiness. That will bring me hope. That will bring me fulfillment. Do you call out and say, that's not true. 
That isn't true. The only place I can find hope and fulfillment is in God alone. That's the only place I find satisfaction and rest for my soul. If you are a parent and you have opportunity to teach those who are younger than you, around you, do you teach your children it? We had an incident just recently where our boys were talking about things and they're talking about earning money and what earns the most money. And one of them says, oh, footballers earn a lot of money. I said, yes, football do, do earn a lot of money. He said, oh, maybe I'll be a footballer because they earn lots of money. And I think, well, that's good. But then we had an opportunity to talk about actually money doesn't necessarily bring happiness. Money can be good. It can buy stuff, put a roof over your head, food on the table. That's great. But that's not where happiness found. And we talked about you need to find something to do in your life that will bring satisfaction and joy to you that will serve others that God might have called you to. And we've got to have a conversation with about that actually and trying to realign their thinking and actually push out false teaching and say it's all about what you earn. And that's the most important thing because that will bring you happiness. And actually, no, that's not it. When you do see it in your life, you do are aware of it. Do you confess and reject it and actually speak it out loud and say, actually, no, that is a lie. I'm not going to believe that. That is not where my worth is found. That's what, not what I'm about. I'm not going to live my life on that. I'm not going to consume everything God has given me on me because ultimately I'm just a steward who holds stuff and is responsible for pushing it out and serving others with it. Do you do that? Because that's the thing to do. When you identify it, you call it out, you confess it, you reject it in your life. Now, God will forgive us our sins, will cleanse us from all righteousness. He fills us with his spirit so we can walk in godliness and truth. And the last, the real big one is, do you know your Bible? Do you know what your Bible says? Because the way you're going to find out what's false and what's leading away, whether you've taken the wrong street and you're going down the wrong path, is you know what the truth is. And it's why we bang on again and again and again, is are you reading your Bible daily? This is why, because it keeps you on the straight and narrow. It keeps you going with what is true, and so you can reject what is false. We recently started a couple of weeks back uh, the Real Life School and the first um, module of that school that we've kind of put out is all about reading your Bible. And there are a bunch of people who came and there are a bunch of people who couldn't come and said, I really need the next one. Can you run this again? He said, yes, they'll run it again. So they can learn how to read their Bible daily. We said we provide coaches to help you and kind of work you th- walk you through that process so you're not left alone. And that is the big thing through here. Get in your Bible. You're reading it daily. If you have that I want to do, start with 2 Timothy. Just slowly start working your way through it. Use the Phil Moore book to help you if you want a bit of a guide, just to help lead you. Um, they're brilliant. Just things to it. So what I want to do now just is to finish. I just want to pray for us, for you, that we are all um, in these last days together. And they're difficult. They're difficult. They're tough. We all know that. We've all been through it. And just us getting back together together aren't, isn't necessarily going to change that. There's still going to be new things, tough things coming. And we're all, we're all in the position to be led astray. If those of us who think they can't get led astray, like I didn't think I could get lost in London, guess what happens? <laughs> you fall, oh, crumbs, darn, I made a mistake. And so I just want to pray now. I want to give some space to the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You know if he's been nudging you on some of these things. You know that. And so I just want to pray for us. And then maybe you need to take this away, talk to someone, talk to someone in your house or someone you know, someone close friend in the church, and just talk about where am I listening to lies, listening to false teaching? Because ultimately it's going to lead you away from God and that is never a good place. 
it's never a safe place. And so maybe you want to close your eyes, open your hand, and I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for what you teach us. We thank you for the reminder that we are in the last days and there will come times of difficulty. We thank you that false teaching is all around us, always prevalent, always trying to lead us astray. And when we drop our guard and we take our eye off the ball, we can find ourselves in the wrong place. Lord God, we pray now that you would convict us where we've given in to false gospels, false teachings, making this all about me, making it all about my comfort, my pleasure, making it all about just a, a section of my life, not my whole life, Lord God. We pray you would convict us and lead us back to righteousness. Lord, we thank you that you forgive and you willingly want to draw us back into relationship with you, God. We pray you make us a people of your word who would read your word, study your word, who would learn from it and know the truth. If you know, if you're on the call and you know um, there are things in your life that God has just been prompting through this and there's like, I'd love you just to take a moment now to do some business with him and just say, and, and the way you do it is you confess it, you, you identify and you name it and say this attitude, this moment, this thing, that's what I mean. And, and then you turn from it, you repent and say, you, you say, God, I'm sorry, I've confessed it. I'm sorry for it. Give me grace to live the other way you turn around and go the other way to deal with whatever it is and then I think the final thing is always good then is to tell someone else and so just take a moment do some business with God when you're done maybe you want to text a friend say that's what I just confessed that's that thing just so you know and then walk free from it Lord God, we want to thank you that you are gracious, you are kind, and you are good. Lord God, we want to say we love you, we serve you, we recognize all things are about you. Lord God, we thank you for all the wonderful, gracious, good gifts you give us. We want to enjoy them. We want to make sure they stay in their right place. We want to love you. We want to follow you. We want to serve you all the days of our life. And God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you all. Love you all. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to pass this back to you. <laughs>